Hi, and welcome to our latest episode of Remarks and Reflections, a podcast offering insights into topics that are important to the Hillbrook community and the broader worlds of education and parenting. I'm your host, Head of School Mark Silver, and I invite you to join us for what we hope are lively conversations about a whole range of ideas and issues that connect with our vision to inspire children to achieve their dreams and reach beyond themselves to make a difference in the world. Today, for episode four, I am joined by Head of Middle School Amy Hand, middle school math science team lead Clara No, and instructional coach Autumn Vivosa. Last week, Amy, Clara, and Autumn led an interactive math workshop with families providing an overview of how we approach math, as well as hands-on opportunities to try problems that their own children have engaged with during the year. Welcome, everybody. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hey, thanks for joining me. So let's start with you, Amy. Um, prior to taking this role, you have spent most of your career as a math teacher and math department chair at several leading independent schools in New York. And I know you have run many workshops like the one you and the others coordinated last week. Tell me what your goal is for this type of program and how well you felt like you and the team achieved that. Well, our goal for the program, like the one we ran earlier in the year, is we want parents to understand what our math program is and what it looks like day to day. We all know that math is taught differently from how it used to be and our classrooms look different from the classrooms that our parent population experienced so math did used to be teach in a more traditional way which was procedurally oriented speed and accuracy were prized and now conceptual understanding and problem solving are also valued uh, so it's we can communicate that but the question of what that looks like day to day in terms of the student experience and the learning experience we would really like parents to experience that firsthand and see what it is. It's actually much more straightforward to teach in um, a procedurally oriented way because you can kind of present rules, have kids practice those rules. It's a little bit fuzzier and harder to imagine what it looks like to focus on building conceptual understanding and to let mathematical ideas emerge from problems. So we want parents to see and experience um, how that works when they're presented with a problem all of the different ways in which mathematics can emerge from provocative rich problems, and also to see how much fun it can be to experience math as a problem-solving endeavor rather than a rules-following enterprise. Thanks. Can, can you describe maybe just quickly the, the, what the session looked like? So, you know, what was, for example, you know, the, the outlines of the problems that you asked parents to solve? Sure. So we began the presentation by talking about our math approach and our philosophy. And then we picked two problems that we felt really um, were emblematic of, of that approach. So the lower school problem was a number theory problem. It involved using um, multiples and factors to figure out the number of pennies uh, a child could have had under some different constraints. And what we loved about that problem was um, there were many entry points to that problem. That's one of the hallmarks, we believe, of a good math problem. So there were different ways for parents to approach the problem, either through some sort of organized guess and check, through drawing a picture, or from using prior knowledge of multiples and factors. Another thing we like about that problem is that it had a low floor, high ceiling. That's math teacher speak for when uh, a problem can be answered uh, with different levels of complexity and sophistication depending on kids uh, or adults capacity. So um, for instance, with that particular problem, providing one concrete answer would have been uh, a great way to 
begin answering that question. If somebody noticed that all of the possible solutions follow a particular pattern and they were able to name that pattern, that would be a, a, an increased level of complexity and sophistication. So good problems allow for that. They allow every kid to access the problem and they also allow kids to, um, to take that problem to different levels depending on their own fluency. The middle school problem was, um, it was a problem focused on ratios. Similarly, there were different strategies that people could have used. There was a, a clear algebraic strategy, although there were um, even different levels of complexity to the algebraic strategies that could have been used depending on whether people chose to use one variable or two variables and depending on whether they, uh, what quantities they chose to use to, to assign the variables to. Um, and if the algebra was not accessible to parents or to kids with that problem, they could have used a ratio table, they could have drawn a picture, um, so they could have used a bar model. So um, again, it kind of uh, represented the, the kinds of problems we try to use with students so that different mathematics can emerge and connections can be made between strategies. Thanks, that's super helpful. I'm actually gonna bring Autumn in. I know Autumn uh, has done a lot of those types of activities with students, um, and so it, it probably looked not too dissimilar, although the age of the participants was older um, at, at the workshop. Exactly. So uh, one of the most fun things I find about a problem like this is that when introducing it to a group of kids, I can have uh, two students in the back picturing these pennies laying all over their floor. We actually had one student draw a piggy bank full of pennies and actually thought about the process of sorting and stacking. And then we had another child in the same classroom figuring out the pattern of what makes this number work and the number happened to be 91 but don't tell anyone uh, but what <laughs> makes this number work and then he found all the future multiples and then he understood the pattern of when this next number would appear in the next four numbers and then we were able to take that and put an algebraic equation to it so I have this both going on in the same fourth grade classroom which was super cool Parents, I saw the same thing. I saw one parent break right into this complex algorithm that I had to look three times at, and I had another parent <laughs> guessing and checking, going, well, I think it could be 49, but maybe not. So it was, it was a great experiment. We'll try to make sure the problems are actually accessible to anybody listening to this podcast. We'll add the problems in case <laughs> yeah, you want to actually see the problem, problem and, and try to solve it yourself. But so, Autumn, um, you know, uh, you've really helped spearhead a lot of the work over the last few years with the lower school math program. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about the, the process that you've taken and kind of the, the progress that you've seen with the, uh, the teachers and the students and the, and the work that you are doing? Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. So let me start with the process that we took to do um, our curriculum redesign and our math outcomes update. So at the time, we took the two largest bodies of research out there, the Common Core State Standards, which were rewritten for math, and then the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics Principles and Standards for School Mathematics. Say that twice. Okay. <laughs> um, so we took those two major pieces of research, and then we also considered the major tenets of Singapore math, because that is something that we're founded in and we believe, and we wanted to make sure that anything we created that was new held to what we believe is true and important for kids. So we made sure when we were designing these outcomes that we kept the CPA progression, which is the concrete pictorial to abstract, the working with objects to working with algorithms, number bonds, bar modelings, and mental math. So that's all still part of our curriculum. 
Um, then once we distilled down what we saw was common between both of these bodies of research and a third, what was part of Singapore math, we started to design content goals that would make a logical learning progression for kids um, in grade four that would lead them to what we knew they were doing in grade five and build on what we felt they should know from coming from grade three. So we went through this process in grade four. We tested it. Um, the teachers piloted it. We started to use some of our adopted math materials. We started thinking about new math materials and designing our own tasks. Um, basically, uh, the four of us, the two teachers, the resident teacher, myself, had the most fun ever teaching math that year. So we decided, hey, if it's this exciting for us, maybe we should expand it. And then, sure enough, the math audit was done. We were asked to bring the outcomes um, from grade four down to JK and then start the process up to eight. So that was pretty cool with the math outcomes. And then as far as our thinking about math process, the way that we think mathematically, we wanted to make sure that anything we designed valued both the way we do math and the way we think about math. So there may be some changes that people see in what we're doing here at Hillbrook that, oh, you know, maybe they're not going as, I'm doing my air quotes, as fast as they would want a child to go in a particular topic. But what you have to understand about our approach is we're understanding our concepts and topics so deeply, and we have a very logical movement for every child. One example would be in fourth grade, the children learn to divide very large numbers with strategies, but we don't show them the algorithm for long division until fifth grade because we really want to make sure they understand what you're doing when you're dividing. That's going to become important in solving other problems. Um, our process goals reflect how thinking mathematically is equally as important as doing math. Our goal is to create engaged problem solvers who have flexible number sense, Thinkers who are willing to take risks and challenging tasks that cannot always be solved by simply applying an algorithm. Um, all of this work, like I said, started in JK4, and now it has grown throughout our school, and I'm very proud of the work that we've done. After we had a cohesive JK4 program, we looked at gaps and overlaps and talked about a mathematical pathway for our students to make sure they were prepared for the expectations of and goals of middle school. And then we started building our own resources. And I think, Mark, that was the most exciting part of being at Hillbrook for me, is that we weren't just taking a math program or a curriculum, we were creating a flexible curriculum. And I think we're really one of the first schools in this area to do something where we're putting students first and we are teaching them in context mathematically to solve problems and come up with answers that are logical. So just this week I was in uh, third grade and they were thinking about how do we box up these truffles to ship them for the holiday and they were solving problems and how big should our box be and all this and two students shared amazing things which just me I was so proud of them. One child said, well, there's no need to ever make the 10 by 10 truffle box, even though it'll hold 100. Most families aren't going to pay $100 on a box of chocolates to give someone else. And I'm like, okay, they good get real context. world experience, good, good real world experience. And then um, another child speaks up and says, well, honestly, if my family got a box of 100 chocolates, they'd go stale before we could eat them. So these kids are thinking about solving problems in a way. And, you know, there are jobs in the future that it's going to take critical thinking and flexible number sense and this idea of contextuality that's so important. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Autumn. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, so Autumn, you really helped to kind of guide with the teachers and uh, the lower school process. Uh, we have Clara with us as well. And so Cla- and Clara and her role over the last few years as middle school math science team has really worked in the middle school to kind of carry on some of the work that, that is happening in the lower school and then also to kind of connect b- the, those conversations and particularly in the area of, uh, for example, fifth grade. So maybe Clara, you can talk a little bit about um, you know, some of the things that you, know, you and Autumn have helped to lead um, that you think are going to have like, the biggest impact on our math program moving forward. Yeah, it's been great working with Autumn in the last year. Um, I am able to understand the process in the lower school and what they were able to do. And we're trying to make a seamless transition from fourth grade to fifth grade when the students um, reach middle school. And so how we did that is we took the process skills that they have and we broke it down into more appropriate um, content areas for middle school. So some things are like, how can you... know if your answer makes sense are some of our process skills or are you able to respectfully critique um, one of your peers work or even your own another one is to see if you can identify any patterns that are in the work and how can you apply it to other problems Um, so it's been great to work with her and because we have a clear philosophy statement we're able to think about that and apply it to our program as well yeah, I know one of the things that um, you know came up in the conversation um, is that we have kind of this these sets of kind of domains right now. Now that I think you know the um, kind of the four areas that that we're focusing on broadly. Um, and you know, Amy, you you came in from the outside. You you know, you've seen other math programs at other schools. Um, so you know, I'm wondering if you can maybe kind of quickly you know, go through kind of those four domains or, or four areas. Um, and then also, you know, h- how does Hillbrook's math program, um, you know, compare to programs that you've seen at other schools? So there are a few components of good, solid math programs that I think um, exist. And schools have different names for different things. But broadly, I would say they fall into a few a few buckets. So the first is uh, computational fluency. And I'll start with that because it's what most people are already associate with being good at math. So computational fluency or procedural fluency is about being able to do um, basically arithmetic with different kinds of mathematical objects, so fractions, decimals, percents, and to do that uh, to do that computation quickly, efficiently, and accurately. So that is um, that's the dimension of math learning that has probably been most traditional. The other components that we now understand are as critical and um, appropriately em- emphasized are number sense. Um, That's one of the other three. Number sense refers to a more subtle fluency with numbers. So being able to, for instance, uh, do arithmetic using a few different strategies or to choose the most efficient strategy for a particular problem, that refers to number sense. Also being able to estimate an answer or to know what range of answers might make sense for a given problem. Um, And then just having, um, thinking of numbers as objects that are well understood before any manipulation is even done. So for instance, if I multiply one half by eight, am I going to get a number bigger than eight or smaller than eight? Things like that. Just having an idea of how numbers interact with one another. You can think of an analogy with reading where when you think of reading, there's decoding and there's uh, reading comprehension. Uh, The ability to decode is more like procedural fluency and the ability to comprehend what you're reading is more like number sense. Um, And then the other two dimensions of uh, math learning are related, much like number sense and procedural fluency are. So I call those problem-solving capacity and critical thinking. So 
Critical thinking refers to the more complex cognitive skills that students will have to do when they're solving uh, more complex math problems. Things like identifying a pattern, choosing a strategy, um, being able to connect what they've done in one problem to a similar problem that appears different. All of those higher level thinking skills. Um, and then we also, I also refer separately and some people lump these together and they both make sense to problem solving capacity. And those are the more structured ways that we teach kids to, um, to tackle problems. So things like how do I begin a problem? What do I do when I'm stuck? What strategies uh, can be applied to several problems? And do I know how to try them out if I'm trying to make headway on a problem? Things like making a table, drawing a diagram, um, taking the problem that's in front of me and turning it into a simpler problem that I can maybe solve and gain insight from. So those are, those all refer to problem solving capacities and those are more like that's like your toolbox that you can go to when you are tackling a problem. That's really helpful. And I think, you know, it, you know, it strikes me a couple of things over the years, you know, oftentimes parents will ask us in Autumn, you kind of referenced this earlier, um, you know, what program are you using? Mm. And, you know, and so I think one of the strong answers coming out of, out of that workshop was that we're not using a program. And we, you know, we certainly have a number of different programs that are helping to serve as the foundation for a, a math program that is uniquely Hillbrook and, and meeting the needs of students. Um, the other thing that I heard in the workshop was, uh, you know, so a, a number of parents were, seemed to be very impressed by the kind of the high level thinking that was happening. And then some, and then, and then one of the questions that came up or that I heard kind of murmurings around the tables were, so what do you do when you have like a, you know, a broad range of learners in that classroom? How do you make sure that, you know, everybody from the student who is, you know, uh, per perhaps a little bit behind in some of these concepts or the student who's way ahead, like, how do you make it meaningful? And so does, you know, one of you want to talk a little bit about what that might look like in a classroom? Yeah, I'll jump in and start, um, especially in lower school. Um, well, probably throughout all grades, we have such a varied level of mathematical procedural abilities when children come to us. Um, but it's really that if we flip the coin a bit and we make the problem more about context, situational, and deep conceptual understanding, it doesn't really matter if you can quickly compute it or not because what the problem is asking you is probably to solve more of like one of life's problems or something you would see in real life versus eight problems that you might see on a worksheet. So I think that is our best way to do it by creating these problems that we call, they have multiple entry points. So there may be some basic level math in there. Going back to the penny problem, you might be dumping out your pennies in a penny in a piggy bank, drawing pennies on the table and circling sets all the way up to noticing a pattern and then repeating that pattern and predicting the next four or five. So that's one way that we do it in lower school. In middle school, um, if we have a problem, sometimes we at, we are set up with extra complex problems, giving them different layers, but also we ask the students to solve a problem using a different method um, so that they could see problem solving from another person's perspective, but also think in a more extensive way. And this goes back to the critical thinking skills that Amy was talking about. Yeah, and I think you know, implicit in what both of you are talking about, but probably saying explicitly to parents, and I've seen this, and I know you've seen this in a lot of the classrooms, is a lot of what's happening also is having students narrate their solving of a problem, so that you know that 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 a lot of this is happening publicly and visibly, and so that so that students have a chance to see what other students are doing and to hear some of that. And so that's that's a, 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 every time I walk into a class, that's you know a lot of what you, I see going on. 
with that said, like I would say a lot of students may be able to solve a problem, but they can't communicate their thinking. And what I like to tell students is like, you need to use your knowledge for good. And so if you can't communicate it to somebody else, what good is it to the world <laughs> if you're not gonna be able to communicate it? You know, Claire, I know last year with um, seventh grade, and I suspect you might do this again, you also did a, a whole uh, experience where students designed a whole set of games. And, and you want to talk a little bit about that was, uh, was a wonderful, like real world application of math, which I know seventh graders love to create and then a whole bunch of different students had a chance to participate in. Yeah. So last year we had um, a thing called the chance carnival. Um, so this was with our probability unit and students were able to create the game of their choice where they won more than 50% of the time. So ideally we want the house to win, right? Um, so they had to calculate that probability and design the game. And then we invited the fourth graders to come join and play our games. And in the end we asked the house, which are, are the seventh grade students, um, did you end up with more money? And they all should have, because probably always works itself out. And did they? Did, they did, and yeah. all the fourth graders kept asking about, um, can I have more tokens? Can I have more? And so, yeah, it was a fun <laughs> experience for all. <laughs> Out of curiosity, did, did the fourth graders ever know that that was happening? Um, they had some idea. They would go around and see which games had the better chance of winning. And that, those games had longer lines. So even the fourth graders had to calculate <laughs> the probability of which one gave them the best chance. That's wonderful. And, and um, we're, while we're not trying to train children for Vegas, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's some lessons that they can take if they ever end up there when they yeah. get older. Um, so so the, 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 fi the final thing um, that I wanted to mention, you know, you, there was a whole bunch of resources that were provided at the workshop. Um, and then there was a wonderful follow-up article that Amy wrote along with our director of teaching and learning, Ilsa Doman, which will connect to the podcast. Um, but in particular, there were several outside articles that were also written. And I'm curious um, if, if, you know, if, if you had there any articles that you guys really liked and that you would encourage parents to check out that you had shared as resources. Yes. I, so I, I shared three links. And they've, uh, uh, my favorite title is Think You're Bad at Math, You May Suffer from Math Drama. Uh, and that is about how math education has shifted. I like that one because it has some very practical advice for parents about how to um, not have their own children end up with math drama. And one is about looking for the wonder and joy in math. So using games and puzzles and finding the math in kind of their everyday conversations with kids. Um, that's one piece of advice. And then the other one is avoiding language that sets up the, the, uh, the mental model for kids that some people are good at math and some people aren't. I think some very well-meaning parents um, say things like, oh, you know, I'm just not a math person. And that can come from a good place of trying to, you know, acknowledge that everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses. What the research has shown, though, is that it kind of, um, it, it doesn't enforce a growth mindset. It makes kids think that there are these two buckets of people, those who are good at math and those who aren't, and it can actually send a, a damaging message to kids. So that's the focus of that article, um, although you should still read it because it's got other great information in there too. And then the two other articles I shared were, one title is Memorizers Are the Lowest Achievers and Other Common Core Math Surprises. And that's about how those who actually succeed in math uh, at the highest levels long-term are people who use more flexible strategies than simply memorizing, which is something I think we've talked a lot about already. <laughs> um, and then the third one is called All the Mathematical Methods I Learned in My University Math Degree Became Obsolete in My Lifetime. And that is about how now that we have um, 
now that we have calculators and really powerful online platforms to do a lot of the computation and even equation solving that we used to do by hand, uh, it kind of asks the question, what is the value of math education and what are the transferable skills or the practical utility of, of learning math? And the writer makes the argument that it is about teaching critical thinking skills that can be applied to other disciplines and contexts. Um, there's also a link at the bottom of that article to another article by the same writer who talks at length about what what people mean when they talk about number sense, which is also useful. Yep. And Autumn, you have a so you have a great story about a parent who who commented on that at the end of the math con at the workshop about their own math experience in in university and the question that they wanted to ask. Oh my gosh. So at the end of this session, I was approached by a JK parent who brought up to me, he's like, I just, I so appreciated what you're doing and the way you're teaching math because you're teaching the children to solve math problems of today's life. And that's so important. And he said, I just wanted you to turn around and ask the audience, raise your hand if you're using the math right now today that you learned in college. And he had the prediction that very few would be doing that. Um, of using that math. So I think that's really important that we need to be using the math for today and for tomorrow that kids are actually going to be using. Right. Yes. And I, I want our math program to make kids not only better mathematicians, but better thinkers in general, because even, you know, even if we train the mathematicians of the future, that's still such a narrow slice of, of, of any population or of anybody's thinking skills. Uh, but so the math skills are one thing, but the, the capacity to convince somebody of your reasoning or to um, convince yourself of the correctness or incorrectness of your answer or to work together to solve a problem you've never seen before. Those are the kinds of skills and thinking skills that we want all kids to have. And those are the kinds of capacities that they'll use in all of their classes. I know one final thing we've had talked separately as a group had talked at one point about the reception was so positive to this experience. And I think one of the big takeaways for us was that we need to do even more opportunity, give more opportunities for parents to understand what's happening in our math program and, and to, um, to really engage with the work that we're doing in math. So, so I know we're, we're going to continue to try to do that and continue trying to get better at communicating out the, the different things that are happening. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for joining me. And um, it's such an exciting conversation. I am so proud of the math program that, that <laughs> We are building at Hillbrook, and, and you know the, the three of you, as well as many others, um, you know, are so critical to that. And so it, it's really it's an exciting moment um, to to be a student at Hillbrook and to be able to engage in this math program. It is absolutely. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thanks. You have been listening to Remarks and Reflections, a podcast of Hillbrook School. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can also find the Remarks and Reflections blog post at hillbrook.us another space where we are looking to connect with and engage members of our community in conversations important to our school, education, and parenting. And as always, you can find our school on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, our website at hillbrook.org. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and be your best. <laughs>